You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. copy of God's Word, turn with us to the book of Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Uh, today we're going to talk about, as we're starting a new year, uh, starting tomorrow, uh, you know, a lot of times we, we, we may come when we're at work, at school, or wherever we may be, you may come across someone who is, who is a critic. Anyone ever had any critics? Oh, come on now. <laughs> oh, Francis is even pointing at people now. Okay, so, so yeah. So, uh, wasn't expecting that. Well, anyhow, the question is, how do you respond in a godly manner to critics? And so, this is what we see in the book of Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. This is going to tie back in to a passage of Scripture that we read earlier. Because if you remember, uh, a few weeks back we were speaking about Cornelius and how Cornelius was this Roman centurion uh, who came to faith. He and his whole household came to faith. And um, so some of the Jewish authorities, some of the early Jewish Christians heard about this. And they were asking Peter, like, well, Peter, now what were you thinking? You went to this Roman centurion's house, and you welcomed him in the church. There's something odd about this, Peter. So they start accusing Peter of uh, foul play, and so Peter gives a response. So everybody who can and is able, we encourage you to stand as we pay homage to the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. The Word of God says, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the Word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision, now this is a very important point here, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went in to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. You, you communed, you fellowshiped with those dirty old sinners over there how could you, Peter? Peter, Jesus put you in charge of the church. You know, you're one of the you're one of the apostles of the church. How could you go eat with those people over there, Peter? What are you thinking, my friend? Okay, but Peter explained to them in order from the beginning, saying, "I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision: an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me." When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And those of you who are hunters will appreciate that. And I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. 
And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as soon as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and as upon, as upon at the beginning. In other words, the Holy Spirit came down upon these men just as he had come down upon us at Pentecost. The same Holy Spirit, the same experience. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, if you have a red letter edition, you'll notice this is in red letters. He's referring back to the teachings of Jesus. John indeed baptized with water, but you will shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the gift, the same gift as he gave us, when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? In other words, if God has received them, who am I to say otherwise? Amen. If God has received them, who am I to say otherwise? Okay, so when they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance of life. And aren't you glad as we are Gentiles, a Gentile means an individual who's not thoroughly Jewish, that we have been allowed to enter into the throne of grace, that we have been allowed access to God's kingdom. Praise God for that. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what it means to us. And we thank you so much, Lord, that you loved us and allowed us, being Gentiles, to experience the same freedom, to experience the same bliss, that by your grace we have been grafted in to the family of Abraham. We have been grafted in to the people of the covenant. And we thank you, Lord, that our names have been written on the Lamb's Book of Life because of the covenant agreement that we have with you through our risen, through our risen Lord Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you for your word and what it means to us. Lord, just use me as you will this morning. Allow me to only speak the words you want spoken. Hold back any words that don't need to be spoken. And through it all, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that we would uh, apply these truths and be better for it. For us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. <coughs> By nature, I am not a combative individual. And that's why it's so odd that God has called me into, uh, in addition to the pastoral ministry, the apologetics ministry, meaning defending the faith. doesn't mean you apologize for being a Christian. It means you defend the faith because a lot of times you have to confront issues that are out there. But if this goes back, I think God was at work in me for a long time about this because I remember that, uh, that I became, at a, at a corporation, a company, a supervisor. And, uh, well, kind of like a supervisor, I guess you'd say. And I remember, I don't, can't remember if it was me or if it was someone else, but there was a group of the supervisors there, and someone had filed a complaint against one of the supervisors. And one of the veteran supervisors says, well, you know you're doing a good job. If someone files a complaint against you, you know you're doing what you're supposed to do because doing what you do, not everybody's going to like you. And, you know, and that is probably true because, you know, being in supervision, you know, you have to do things, you have to request things that may not always be pleasant. Winston Churchill once said, if you have enemies, not saying that you're trying to have enemies, not trying to say that you're trying to ruffle feathers, but if you have enemies, he says, that's good because that means at some point in your life you've stood up for something. And I think he has a point in that. Because while we as believers should seek to live in harmony with all people at all times to the best of our abilities, we must also understand that if you stand for the truth of Jesus Christ, guess what? 
Not everybody's going to like you, are they? Amen? Not everybody's going to like you. Jesus even warned us as much. He says, listen, if, you, if, you're of my, if you're mine, if you're of me, the world is not going to accept you. The world is not going to love you. Not if you're of, not if you're of God, not if you're of the truth. If you stand for the truth of God's word, you're going to eventually have critics. This may, in fact, I was uh, talking to Grace, and you know, we were talking about different things, and and I and I told him, I said, you know what, um, talking about you know being a pastor, and Grayson says, well, everybody loves you, as, everybody loves you. I said, well, I'm sure not everybody loves me, Grayson. He says, really? I said, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure not everybody loves me no matter where, everywhere I go. I'm sure I've had critics every now and then. You know, but that comes with the territory, amen? I mean, and it comes for all of us who are of Christ. It doesn't matter what you do. You could be on the uh, side of a street selling hot dogs, and someone says, well, that's some nasty mustard you put in that. Well, I got it from the grocery store. It's still nasty. I mean, you're going to have critics no matter what you do in this life, amen? You're going to have critics, But the question is, the question is not so much what comes to you, not so much what happens to you. The the question is, how do you deal with that? How do you respond to that? How do we deal with our critics? You know, it may surprise you that the only perfect person in this world is Jesus Christ. And even he had his critics. So if Jesus has his critics, guess what? You're going to have them as well. So how do we respond to our critics? Simon Peter had his critics. And so he did three things, I think, that successfully showed how we should respond to any critics that we may have in our lives. Number one, we need to respond to critics, which requires a recognition of the critics' accusation. It is also going to require a response with a critical argument. We'll look at that in a moment. And it's also going to seek reconciliation if the critic accepts. These are the three things that we can do as we respond to critics. Number one, responding to critics requires a recognition of the critic's accusation. And we see this in verses 1 through 3. And before you respond to a critic, you need to try to understand what the critic is saying. Amen? You need to understand where they're coming from. You need to understand the the basis of their criticism. And this is what Simon Peter did. And this requires two things. Number one, it requires recognizing the accusation's root. What is the person really saying? You know, what a person says and what they actually mean may be two different things. Amen? What a person says and what a person means may be two different things. For instance... Not only what you say, but how you say something. You could say, it's a lovely day today. And would you think I was being serious? If I said, it's a lovely day today. You probably would. But if I said, it's a lovely day today, isn't it? Cold out there, it's a lovely day. Well, if I say it that way, you know I'm being sarcastic. You know, I said the same thing, but I said it a different way. What is the root of what's being said? Peter had to recognize the root of the accuser's accusations, and we see this in verse 2. Peter had come up to Jerusalem. He had come up to uh, several believers who had been of the circumcision, and they were asking, you went in to uncircumcised men to eat with them? Now, it would seem like the problem was the fact that Peter associated with these uncircumcised Gentiles. But the real problem, the real root of their accusation was not so much that Peter ate with Gentiles. 
It really wasn't so much even that Gentiles entered the church. It was that Peter did not require them to hold the Jewish mark of circumcision when entering the church. That's what floored them. Because they as Jews, they had required... Because there had been Gentiles who had become Jews. For instance, the Ethiopian eunuch was an instance of this. There were Gentiles who had become Jews, but they had required the mark of circumcision. Peter didn't require that mark. And so they're saying, wait a minute. How, why did you do this? So the first thing we need to do is we need to understand... We need to understand the root of the problem. Listen, anytime you introduce change, it's going to be difficult. Amen? I've often said that, that, that successfully, if you're going to introduce change, and especially in a church, it's more like turning an aircraft carrier than a jet ski. Amen? Jet skis, you get on that thing, and man, you can turn that thing just like that, and just turn it like that. Aircraft carrier, you've got to turn it slowly. Otherwise, you're going to capsize the whole thing. Amen? We don't like change, do we? I mean, none of us like change. Um, we like things to be the way they are. So you introduce change slowly. But sometimes the Holy Spirit will introduce change just like that. And that's what he did in this instance. And it's very difficult. It's very difficult. But understand that behind every accusation stands a root problem. And it's not always what is said to you is what is meant. You know, I've, I've come across individuals at the workplace. In fact, I used to work with a lady one time. She was, man, she was hopping mad. She came in hopping mad one day, and she was just telling off the entire world. And I, I remember she, she was mad about me. I don't even remember what it was. And I just stopped, and I just paused a minute. And I said, honey, what's wrong? I said, this isn't like you. What's wrong? And come to find out the situation wasn't really over these things going on at work. She had some personal issues going on that were driving her crazy. And there were some personal issues taking place, and she was just taking it out on everybody else, driving everybody else mad. Yes, she was, but the, but the situation was not those issues she was discussing. It was a root problem. It is, it's difficult, but if you can find the root problem, you're well on your way in trying to respond accurately to a critic. And this takes time. Try to find the root behind the accusation. Number two, not only recognizing the accusation's root, but also recognizing the accusation's reality. We have to stop and take pause and ask ourselves, is there any truth in the accusation? Now that's difficult, because we live in a very polarizing world. None of us want to be wrong, do we? <laughs> it's not one of the toughest things in marriage, I believe, is to say, honey, you were right. And I was wrong. Can I get an amen, men? Anybody else? <laughs> One of the toughest things to ever say is, Honey, you were right and I was wrong. And yes, I've had to say that one, one time back in 19... <laughs> no, I've had to say it several times. I've had to say it several times. <laughs> she is going to choke me with the tie afterwards. <laughs> but anyhow, Peter had to ask himself, was he right? Because he gave pause between verse 3 and verse 4, he gave pause. You know, a lot of times we need to ask ourselves, is there any truth in the accusation being brought against us? 
And Peter obviously had to stop and contemplate the situation at hand because he gave a very lengthy response, which we're going to look at here in just a moment. But, you know, we, we live in a day and time that's very polarizing. In fact, you know, none, none, nobody wants to be wrong. Everybody wants to be right. And that's why we get on our Facebook accounts. We give our opinion, whether it's right or it's wrong. And we, we get on these different memes. And whether it's right or it's wrong, we give it out there. We throw it out there. But here's the thing. You know, it's gotten to such a point. I even heard a professor say, how do you in this society correct a student when they're wrong without causing World War III? That this is a university professor that asked this question. How do you do that? Because you, you have individuals that, that are very combative you know, anymore. But the important thing for us to do is to stop and ask, is there any truth in this accusation? Because I believe that you can learn three things through an accusation. Number one, you can learn more about yourself through the accusation. Is there any truth in what the person's saying? Number two, you can learn about the sufferings of Christ. If you review the situation and you see that you're in the right, that you're, doing, that you're being persecuted for doing something for Christ, you know what Jesus says about you? You're blessed. Now, I know that you don't feel very blessed if you're accused for doing something for Christ or if you're persecuted in society for standing up for the gospel, you're persecuted in society for standing up for the truth of God's word. But this is what Jesus says, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, he says, because your reward in heaven is great, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, beloved, let me tell you something here. Maybe you're here today, and maybe, maybe you have family members, or maybe you have loved ones, or maybe you have co-workers, or maybe you have other individuals in your life that laugh at you and scorn you for being a Christian. But guess what? The Bible says you're blessed. Amen? You're blessed. You're truly blessed because you have been blessed to partake in the sufferings of Christ because Christ was wrongly persecuted. He was wrongly insulted. And last but certainly not least, if nothing else, you can learn about the critic. Jennifer said her dad used to say, if, uh, you know, if, if he went through a situation, and he worked in uh, landscaping, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and you know, sometimes, he would, uh, be, sometimes people would take advantage of him, and she said one of her dad's favorite sayings was, well, at least it helped me know more about that person. I think I said that right. At least it helped me know more about that person, if nothing else. So a lot of times, these are some of the lessons that we can learn through going through criticisms. Uh, but long, long and short of it all, we need to ask ourselves, are we in the right? And if we are, and if we're suffering for doing something right for Christ, understand, it may not seem like it, but we are truly blessed if we're going through that situation or circumstance. Number two, it requires us to respond with a critical argument. And what this means is that we give a reason, we give a defense. If you're doing something for Christ, and maybe someone is inquiring, why are you doing this for Christ? Why are you telling other people about Jesus? Why, why are you spending so much time in studying the Word of God? Why are you going to those Bible studies? Why are you going to Sunday morning worship service? Why are you, why are you singing in the choir? Why are you doing these things? This gives you an opportunity to share the gospel. This gives you an opportunity to share with that individual the, the salvation that you've experienced and the wondrous glory that you find in your relationship with Christ. Number one, this response is argued with reason. Aren't you glad, praise God, that when you become a Christian, you didn't have to leave your brains at the door? Amen? 
I didn't hear many amens on that. Amen? Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't require blind obedience? You know, he doesn't require that. In fact, if you look at Jesus, Jesus, he anticipated questions. And he took time with people to answer their questions. If they had questions, he had answers. And he was willing to spend as much time. Nothing he did with the exception of a few things were ever done in private. Publicly, he did miracles. Publicly, he taught. Uh, he, he, he resurrected and appeared to more than 500 people at one time, the Bible tells us. Everything he did was of an open and transparent nature. But we see that Peter says that we can respond with reason. And look here, in verse 4, notice it says, and if you underline and mark your Bibles, I encourage you to underline this word. Peter explained, I underline that word explained, explained it to them. He took time to use reason to explain to the critics. But notice it also says, in order from the beginning. In order from the beginning. The CSB translates this in a step-by-step fashion, in a systematic fashion, Peter gave a response to his critics. God has given us the capacity to reason. He's given us a brain, praise God, amen, and he expects us to use it, you know? He expects us to use it. Uh, Peter writes uh, that uh, if someone comes to you and they're criticizing you for your faith, and believe you me, as we are Christians living in this day and time, we are going to face more and more accusations. We are going to face more and more critics in the workplace and in the public arena. And so Peter says, In your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense. That word defense in Greek is apologia. That's where we get the term apologetics from. Apologia, giving a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. Oh, that's the, that's the hard part. Amen, that's the hard part. Someone comes criticizing your faith and saying, oh, you're just a moron for, for believing in that. It is difficult to come back with gentleness and respect when you have somebody coming at you like that. But keeping a clear conscience so that when you were accused... Those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Norman Geisler said that a person, a person with a clean heart and a clear mind is dangerous to the devil. Amen? A person with a clean heart and a clear mind is an absolute danger to the devil. Because they, 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 they give a personal testimony and then through their witness. And they also can stand up mentally to the challenges that the devil throws their ways. So don't be afraid to use reason in defending God's truth. In fact, I think a lot of times the problems we have in responding to critics comes from, and I'm, I'm guilty of this just as anyone else, is that we let our emotions do the speaking for us instead of our reason. Amen? Greg Kokel says the best thing to do if you get an email or if you get someone who sends something by, by, by you know, the internet or something like that, the best thing for you to do is to wait 24 hours before you say anything. Wait 24 hours before you respond to that, to that email or to that letter or whatever the case may be. And I think that's good advice. To give yourself time to really recollect and consider the situation at hand Get the emotions out of it. It's easier said than done, I know. Get the emotions out of it, but rationally give a response to the critics that you may have. 
Number two, the response must be argued from revelation. We have, praise God, the revelation of God. And what is the revelation of God? Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, guess what? You have God's revelation given to humanity. I believe it's inspired. I believe it's infallible. And I also believe it's inerrant. I believe it's absolutely true in what it says from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Notice what Peter does, though, here. He first starts off in verses 5 through 9. He talks about uh, God's, revelation of the, uh, God's revelation given to him that these former ceremonial laws had been overturned with the atonement of Christ's death, including the meats that were formerly considered unclean. So him meeting in Cornelius' house wasn't as big a thing to, as they thought that it was because these meats had now become clean. He also, in verses 10 through 14, notes how the Spirit of God revealed to him and to Cornelius how God would now accept Gentiles without the former requirements. In addition, Peter was eyewitness to God's acceptance of Gentiles. And finally, Peter refers back to Jesus' own teaching. And he's using this argument to say that the revelation Jesus has, saying if Jesus is the Son of God, and we all know that He was and He is, He told us that, that the Spirit of God would come upon the church. He said this in Matthew 3.11, Mark 1.8, Luke 3.16, and John 1.33. If this was to happen, and if this was to take place, guess what, brothers and sisters? That same Holy Spirit that we received at the day of Pentecost came down upon these brothers and sisters in Cornelius' house. So if Jesus was true in what he said about us, then the same thing is applying to these other individuals who have received the Holy Spirit of God, who have received this salvation. So what that tells us is that from the revelation of God, we know that Gentiles are fully accepted into God's church. Praise God for that. Amen. Praise God for that. You know, I heard a person say one time before on radio, that we can't know specific things about God. We can't know about who God will receive in heaven. And I say that's not so. How can we know these things? Well, because we have God's revelation. We have God's revelation in our midst. We have God's revelation in the Word of God. He lets us know that the way to, to receive Christ, that if any man confesses, anyone confesses with their mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believes in their heart that God has raised him from the dead, then that person shall be saved. Amen? John 14, we mentioned this just yesterday. Uh, John 14, Jesus says, I go and prepare a place. And if I go and prepare a place for you, know that I will come again. Thomas says, how is this possible? We don't know the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. That's the revelation of God. Amen? So we can know certain things about God. Now, that's not to say that we're going to know everything about God because you would have to be God to know everything about God. There's no way we can know everything about God. But there are ways that we can know about what's right and what's wrong. There are ways that we can know about the revelation of God. And let me just tell you something here today, beloved. We talk a lot about being on the right side of history. If you're on the right side of God, you're on the right side of history. Amen? Because you read the back of the book, a new heaven and a new earth is created. And if you are in Christ, those of us in Christ, we will experience this new bliss as we experience this new creation. We live in a society that rejects truth. Many people claim that truth is unknowable. But if someone tells you there's no such thing as truth, 
Ask them, how do you know that's true? <laughs> Think about that. If someone says truth does not exist, ask them, how do you know that's true? Because there has to be truth if you can know truth does not exist. If someone says there's no absolute truth, ask them, do you know that absolutely? <laughs> you know? You know, ask them these questions. Do you know that absolutely? The point of the matter is, we have the revelation of God. God has given us His Word. And beloved, we have a road map. Not only to this world, but into eternity itself. And praise God for that. Last but certainly not least, responding to critics also requires, and this is the best part of it all, reconciliation if the critic accepts. This is a beautiful story in this passage of Scripture. You can look at verse 18. When they heard these things, they became silent. The critics became silent and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance of life. It sunk in at what God was doing. The, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ wasn't for a few select individuals. It was for anybody who would respond to the calling of the Holy Spirit. Praise God for that. Just, I mean, just think about this. If God had only intended salvation to be for the Jews, then every one of us would have been excluded. If God had only intended salvation to be for people of the first century, then every one of us would have been excluded. But God intended this salvation to each and every individual who would hear His calling, hear His voice, and would respond in like manner. We must understand that God wants and desires us to have reconciliation where possible. Then the wonderful news is that God was Himself providing reconciliation through the blood of the Lamb, through the salvation freely offered through Jesus Christ. You know, we're, we're in a very combative society. But I think Ravi Zacharias puts it best. Our goal as Christians should not be to win arguments. It should be to win souls. Amen? Our goal should not be to win arguments. Our goal should be to win souls for Christ. And I think he's absolutely right. The goal of any dispute should be to bring reconciliation. That's what Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. He gives us a roadmap in how to provide reconciliation. He says, if you have aught with a brother or sister, if you have a problem with somebody, first go to that individual personally on one-on-one -on -one nature. For instance, if I, if I had a problem with Crystal, let's say Crystal and I had a problem here, and say Crystal said something and I took it the wrong way, what I should do is go to Crystal and work that out. But you know what most of us do is, is we don't go to the person who, who we have an offense. What, I, you know, what most time happens is I'll go to Linda and say, Linda, do you know what Crystal did? And she didn't even know what happened. You know, that's the problem. First of all, Jesus says we need to go to that person individually and work it out. Two, if you can't work it out, bring in a counselor. Bring in a third party to try to help mend uh, what you can. Number three, if that doesn't work, bring it before the leadership of the church. And if that doesn't work, then it's probably best to part ways. The point of it is... In all things, the best we can do is try, to the best of our ability, try to make reconciliation. But you know what? In some instances, it's not going to be possible. So what do you do? You just pray for the person. I think that's the best thing I could tell you. Pray for the person, love the person, give them over to God, and let God work things out in their lives. In everything we do as Christians, we should seek reconciliation to the best of our ability. It may not always be possible, but to the best of our ability, we should try. Sean McDowell t tells of a time whenever he was talking to a woman 
uh, about the Christian faith and, 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 and he came across in the wrong manner. Everything he was saying was right, but the way he was saying it, it was in such a way that the woman took offense. And I think, I think he said he was able to work things out uh, at, with the woman afterwards. But he, but he goes on to say that a lot of times it's not so much what we say, but a lot of times on how we say it, and we need to be careful with that. Let me close with this. Going back, I think we see three ways that we can respond to criticism. One, recognizing the accusation. Two, responding with a critical argument. And three, seeking reconciliation if the critic accepts. Understand, if you take a stand for Christ, you're going to have criticisms. You're going to have criticisms. And I give you this point, and I'm not going to mention the person's name because I don't mean this to... to if, if this person I knew were listening to this, I wouldn't even say this. But in my first pastorate, my first pastorate, I spoke, a, I preached a, preached a message on the judgment seat of Christ. And I talked about how uh, at the judgment seat of Christ, that Christians are going to stand before Christ, uh, our deeds will be shown, the bad things will be cast away as far as the east is from the west, but our good deeds will be offered back as rewards. We see that in First and Second Corinthians or other passages of Scripture. You can check me on that as well. Well, I delivered this message, and there was this one woman. She became, she became really irritated at that message. She became very hostile at that message. She says, well, I've never heard anything like that before. You know, why are you bringing a message like that? And I just said, well, it's in the Word of God. You know, it's what God laid on my heart. You know, it's what God, you know, showed me that I need to bring. Well, I finally, I showed all the church the reasons behind this, the biblical reasons for this, and, and the church agreed with me uh, in, in what I was trying to say, but she still had issue with this. Well, later on, um, as, as, uh, as, uh, as I moved to a different uh, place, I came to later find the reason she had a problem with this message. She had been embezzling money from the church. She had been embezzling money from the church. And they found out about it. Uh, it was actually a year after I left, they had found out about it. And I didn't leave because of her. It wasn't the, it wasn't the issue, nothing like that at all. But she had been embezzling money from the church. The church didn't even file, you know, file anything against her because she went, and went back to somewhere else. And, and so the point of the matter is, what I'm trying to simply say, if you stand on the Word of God, then nobody can touch you. Amen? Now, if you wander outside the Word of God, this is what my grandpa told me when I first entered the ministry. As long as you keep it between these two covers, then you're right where you need to be. If you keep the messages and you keep your content between the two covers of God's Word, then you're standing on solid ground. But if you wander beyond this, you're on your own. That's what he told me. You're on your own. The point I'm simply trying to make is this. You're going to have critics. I don't care what you do. You could, you could play the part of Santa Claus, and you could be handing out gifts left and right, and someone will say, well, I don't want what you got. I don't want what I got. I want what that other person's got. It doesn't matter what you're going to do. You're going to have critics in life. But as you stand, as you answer critics, you need to make sure that you're standing up on the promises of God's Word. And if you are, try to seek reconciliation to the best of your ability. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me just simply say this. If you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to come and receive him before it's eternally too late. You know, he loves you so much that even if you were the only one who would receive him as Savior in God, he would still have come and bore your sins upon his back. That's how much he loves you, friend. So if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, why don't you receive him before it's eternally too late? 
If you're here today, maybe you've been wandering from the faith and maybe you'd like to strengthen your relationship for 2018, we encourage you to come and do that as well. Or maybe you're here today and maybe you're carrying the burdens of something that happened in this past year. And maybe you want a fresh start this next year. Maybe you want an absolute fresh start in 2018. A fresh start with Christ. We encourage you to come down as well. Or maybe you'd like to join the ministry at Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever God is saying and doing, we just encourage you to come and do as the Spirit leads. To kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we don't know the reason why you laid this message upon my heart today. We don't you know, know the reasons why, the reasons how. But we know that you had a reason for it, Lord. And we just ask, Lord, that you would just minister to our hearts through your Holy Spirit. That you would lead us and guide us and direct us. So that in this upcoming year, that we would glorify your name. That we would glorify your name and that, we would, that you would use us to do great things. Lord, we thank you for each and every person who's here today. We just ask a special blessing upon each and every one ask Lord as we depart and go our separate ways. Lord that you would bless and keep each and every person expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Crucified.